0: Hello, and welcome to the Social Housing Podcast from Voyscape. My name's Peter Hudson, and today I'm joined by Hannah Harvey, the Chief Operating Officer of Saffron Housing. Welcome, Hannah.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Not at all. Um, Hannah, I've been really looking forward to this chat. I know that um, how passionate you are about the effective and ethical use of data in social housing. So I was hoping to use that as a thread to run through the, the conversation today. And I know as a sector, we collect a huge amount of data. Um, I think um, I was with a landlord recently that was telling me they manage a data lake of 8.6 billion lines of data, and it's their mission to understand what they can do with that data to make um, living standards and the lives of their tenants and employees much better. Um, So my opening question to you is this, So, how can social housing make better use of data to improve the lives of their tenants and their staff? It's a
1: nice open question <laughs> to start. Um, so I think, obviously, my job title gives it away. I'm a chief operating officer, so I come from it very much from an operational space. Um so for me, really, it's imperative that we understand our data and we use it intelligently to make sure that the service that we deliver operationally is one that meets the need of our tenants and our customers. So, you know, we, as you've already alluded to, hold vast amounts of data um You know, and some of that's quite sensitive personal data at times as well, Mm -hmm. Peter. So it's really important that the data that we store, we are using effectively and efficiently. And also that then enables us to make sure, like I've said, we're delivering the right service to our tenants. I think as a sector, we've always been quite data rich, but we've not necessarily always known how to use that. And as we have evolved over time and and actually, interestingly, post-pandemic, where we had to learn very quickly how to use data, particularly to support our vulnerable tenants... We're really starting to see the the benefits and the importance of it to really assist our tenants to have long successful tenancies with us, but also just to assist them to manage in a really challenging environment at the moment that we're seeing across the, across the kind of board socially and economically, obviously. So, for me, from an operational perspective, it's really just about us making sure that we have the right data, good quality yeah. data, because data is only as good as what you put in. Um, and actually using it to make really good informed decisions about how we can support our tenants to be successful in the long term.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's one thing having the data is then being able to have some actionable or meaningful insight from that that will help you and drive your strategy, drive your service improvements and your offering to the to the communities. Um, So I think. One thing that you mentioned on there very briefly is the quality of data um, and, and unless you know we, we're um, maintaining the, the quality of that data or understanding the limitations of data where you don't have um, perfect quality. So I suppose the question there is around how can organisations make sure that the data they store and they hold on their tenants and their stock is reliable and what measures can be taken to maintain that data quality and integrity?
1: So I think it's really, there's something that really go right back to the very, very beginning. So for me, it's actually about making sure our frontline teams and so people in our contact centres, our tradespersons, our housing officers, who I appreciate already an immense pressure all of these parts of our organisation are facing pressures that we've probably not seen in housing before, that we're giving them the right training, the right tools to understand what it is that we need and what it is we're collecting. And also then how we are inputting it into our systems, because if you input incorrect data, you're obviously going to get the incorrect output the other side. So it's really about us making sure we're training people accordingly and appropriately to collect the right data to help us make those right decisions. And then that it's stored correctly, and then that actually we can use that intelligently. So for me, it really is going right back to the very basics of making sure that. The information we've got at the very beginning at source is the correct information. Mm. We're then inputting it correctly so that we then can trust what comes out the other side. So, you know, lots of housing associations, ours included, and and we know are nowhere near where we would want to be in this. And I, I don't and we're not alone in that. It's making sure actually a lot of the legacy stuff that we have in our system, we've we've cleansed, we understand, yeah. do we still need it? Should we have it? All of these different things are something that's built into that as well, so to me, Pete. So I think it's about training people to collect the right information yeah. and then inputting it correctly to get what you want out the other side. There's also something about us looking at our legacy data and information, what it is in there, making sure we've cleansed it to a point where we can trust it. And actually, then we, you know, then taking that through the same steps again because, you know, we've gone from paper-based to one type of system to a much more, you know, we're on a Dynamics platform where where I am. We've we've gone through different iterations. Every time you do that, things can change slightly, just through human human error or just actually people just moving moving on and not necessarily having knowledge. So there's something for me about actually making sure you just do it right at the very beginning and putting in fail-safes throughout that process as a kind of actually. Let's just check that. Is that is that what we need? Is that where we need to be? Because the thing that falls out the other side is if you have incorrect data, invariably your tenants are going to suffer because the service they're going to get isn't the service that they need because yeah. you're not responding in the way that you should. You might be doing it with the best intentions because according to your system, that's correct. But actually, you, you, it's not right because you've not done the bit you need to do bit. Yeah. So that's for me, it's really about training need, actually very, very basic at the very beginning, training need um, and that we all are accountable for data. So I often feel yeah. like, um, and I've kind of had this a bit looking over after IT for a period of time. I it struck me just how much we believe it's an IT problem, and I'm like, yeah. "Well, actually, not though, is it?" And uh, it's actually, I own data, you don't own data, everybody owns data, everyone's a data owner. It's just that we seem to think that actually all data and IT are not. No, they're not. Or they help us. You know, they put in place the mechanisms so that we can store it. But everybody's accountable, aren't they, for data? And I think there's something about getting people to understand it isn't another problem. It's actually part of your problem.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think whilst they store the ones and the O's on the you know on the on the silicon and or the, or the the cloud hosting i think you're right i think it's everybody's responsibility particularly when we you know in social housing we we we're, we're looking at quite often you know some quite sensitive bits of information and and given some of the um, breaches in the, the sector i think you know owning that data and the, the, the sensitivities around security are are ever more um, important so you know, what, what does the sector need to do to level up in terms of data security, do you, do you think, Hannah?
1: I think we, and I think we are doing this as a sector, actually. But again, we're on the, I'm not going to say the journey word already, and I'm only about seven minutes in. But yeah. we're, we're on a journey as a sector with this. Like, I think we we unilaterally acknowledge that we hold a lot of sensitive mm. data. you know, dates of birth, names, addresses, protected characteristics. We, we That sits in our system. So we've had to be very aware very quickly of what that could mean if we are faced with some form of cyber attack so i think that to be fair as a sector i think we are very very painfully aware of that and we are doing all we can to mitigate it i think sometimes where the sector can be a little bit um, back-footed not so proactive and um, that may have caused us issues in the past i have to say from what i see in my own organization and what i see when i talk to other you know peers when we kind of have these conversations It is an area where, as a sector, we're not prepared to take the risk. So we actually work quite hard on our cybersecurity risk to make sure we're actually mitigating that. Because fundamentally, housing providers have worked with vulnerable persons or persons' data for a very, very long time. So we are actually quite good at making sure we keep it very safe. It's just we used to keep it safe in the paper format. We're now moving to keeping it safe in a different format. So I don't think the willingness to keep it safe has changed. I actually think we've been quite... I think we've been quite aggressive in that respect from a a sector where we're not always overly proactive. I I think that's a bit different. And I think there's been some very real scenarios where we've seen where even with being quite aggressive, it's still not, you know, there's still been difficult things that have happened off the back of that. So I just, I, I don't see it as an area where we... We struggle. I think we are all painfully aware of it. I think boards pay a lot of attention to your cybersecurity, you know, arc our audit and risk committees. It's something they really want to know that you've got to a good place. Yeah. Um, and long may that continue, and it will need to continue because we know that ransomware attacks, cyber attacks, are you know, they are more and more and more, and they are, the demands are greater and greater and greater. You know, I, I never would have thought I'd have to take out insurance around cybersecurity risks and having to pay <laughs> rans- you know, pay. Those sort of things are things that actually all of a sudden We've had to start thinking about very differently. Mm. So, I think the sector acknowledges it's a non-negotiable, and that's why they're very strong on making sure they've got the right tools in place. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think unfortunately the sector has been a, a victim of something catastrophic having happened to to be the catalyst for, for change. And I don't think that cyber tax is excluded from that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I was at the Housing Technology Conference recently, and it was the, you know, it was the number one topic of conversation um, there. And it's incredible to see the, the step change that the sector has made. Um, and, you know, in a sector where traditionally it's fallen behind the times of, you know, what commercial organizations have done. I don't think that's true anymore when it comes yeah. to technology adaptation and security concerns. It's really, really good to see. Um, so when we look at the application of data in social housing, I think there's a few few areas that we're going to have a delve into. But um, when, when you look at things like, you know, we, we can use data to to. De- Determine you know what what stock you, you require, what services you require to provide to tenants, yeah. but then how are you going to support tenants? Yeah. So there's a, for me, there's two things there. There's the commercial um, side, where do you, where do you invest and what sort of properties you gonna build, but then there's also the um, the social side. You know how do you better support your communities? How do you better support your staff? So how how do landlords best balance that kind of commercial and social um, use of data?
1: I think there's a phrase that I use and I'm sure other people use in housing, which is um, commercial heads, social hearts. Mm. So I, I don't believe you work in this sector if you don't have a social purpose, right, the core of who you are, because it's a hard sector. It can be really, really tough, really draining. And we're seeing some of that with some of the stories you're seeing come out. Actually, there's a really interesting article recently in Inside Housing about the stress that our frontline services are currently under mm-hmm. because of the pressures that are happening kind of in an environment perspective. So I think any decision that you make organisationally should sit with those things in mind and they I don't, and they, they intertwine you know you can't be social if you can't be commercial yeah. you can't be they, they work kind of both ways you know that they're interdependent things in my opinion in the sector I think whenever you're making a decision about what's the right type of um, database software platform that you're going to use applications for me the first thing I consider is actually how does this help us deliver our strategy How does it help us to deliver our core purpose as an organisation? And actually, will it improve the experience of our tenants? And also, will it improve the experience of our team members to be able to deliver that service to our tenants? They are basically Mm -hmm. the three questions that I would ask myself as we are looking at any form of kind of new platform, new software that we might want to look at. And if I can... And myself, and the users, and you know, board, and all of the different people within the mechanics of a a great machine, thinks that those questions have been answered. Then that would be where I'd look to be investing. Um, I think there's something really important about as early as possible getting the users of those systems, databases, applications to be involved in that. Yeah. Um, Because I think we have got some examples of where it's gone dreadfully wrong, (laughs) Um, but we've also got some examples of where it's worked really well, and. Where it's worked well is where we've been, you know, we've been very kind of inclusive and, and engaged. Where it hasn't worked well is where we've done just done something. So they're the kind of things I think that I would look for to help us to deliver it. And I think any application, like I said, Dateway platform that is going to give you a better service um, and enable our tenants to experience a service that they warrant and deserve is absolutely where we would look to, to put are our finances at a time when you're having to really seriously consider where you put your finances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with those types of considerations that you're talking about and you know you alluded to having you know some more successful um yeah. uses of, of that than, than others um do you think there's a there's a difference between the way that different landlords will use their data and decisions based on data i mean we've got some you know we're moving to a, a market where the g15 are no longer anywhere near 15 there's um you know ba- barely more than 10 anymore because mm-hmm. they're getting bigger and if you know i understand the, the efficiency gains of um being a larger and you know, we now have some London-based landlords with with stock, you know, a couple of miles from here in Manchester. Yeah. Um do you think their use of data um will, will be different to, for example, your use of data where you've got a very local community?
1: So I think that you could have a whole argument about big versus small here, but we'll avoid mm. that. Um, absolutely different providers will use data differently and the reason you will use it differently is because the demands upon your service will be different what my tenants need in a rural village in south norfolk will be very different to what a tenant would need in the heart of london yeah you 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 can't use your data in the same way because actually it will tell you different things and if you're using your data correctly you wouldn't want to have a one size fits all situation because then you wouldn't be truly putting the tenant at the center of the of the service offer that you want. So for me, it's really about each organisation understanding as best as they can, the demographic of tenant that they are serving and then actually using that data to effectively enhance that service. So yeah, I I don't think it is a one size fits all to be honest, Pete, and I I actually think it would be quite dangerous if we went to a model like that. I I do think there's some commonality. Don't get me wrong. There's some commonality about how you hold it. There's some commonality about, you know, we will see some similar trends in places like, you know, rural, Norfolk and you know somewhere like rural Devon they'll there'll absolutely yeah. be some sim- similarity but you know we're a very multicultural diverse country and that's the strength of our country you know we we, we we've embraced it you know we've we're very diverse so how can you have a, a specific set of rules if you are serving different demographics you know the core demographic of tenants that live in Norfolk is very different to the core demographic of tenants that would live in Birmingham but the two completely yeah. different things and actually work availability education attainment health outcomes they're all different across the country so it's about making sure that your data offer we have consistency in what we we need to collate and what we report absolutely because the regulator wants to see that you know the consumer standard regulation is absolutely going to drive us down a more consistent space but as an organization you need to really think about what it is that you need to use your data for to help you deliver your service. So. And that will be different depending on size, location and actual strategy of the organisation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, what we're doing now is we're starting to look at, you know, the the kind of the social use of that data when you just look at how you can better support those communities. And when when we look to... Um, you know, what does um, a social housing tenant look like? I mean, it's such a broad range. And um, I think one of the things that you and I have discussed in the past is making sure that we're able to support um, not only the kind of the middleman, but every person in the best way that we can. And so I suppose it's an interesting opportunity for us to start to look at how we can use data to support, you know, maybe some of the more marginalized areas of our um, communities and make sure that we're giving them the best offering that we, that we can do
1: yeah and i, I think there's something like um there's something about us understand you know it's it's not it's not our tenants job to educate us about their needs okay it's our job to educate ourselves about our tenants needs so mm. we should be using our data to enable us to do that you know i i don't my i don't fill up my mortgage company and tell me what it needs i don't fill up you know if i rented or i don't phone up and tell them what i need they They understand what I need. They research, they understand it. And I think that's the bit in housing we've got to get right. It's not a tenant's job to tell us what they need. It's our job to understand what they need. And that's done through a, a a cooperative relationship where you talk to each other about what it is that they need and what they don't. And that's also about us understanding what we've got and looking at how we can best support a very varied often tenant base. You know, we'll have some people that don't need any support from us at all. And have others that need immense intensive support. So actually how we move along that spectrum. And I, I think we've got to understand in a changing environment where social and financial pressures are so significant and we know are probably we're going to have a really tough winter, let's be honest. It's going to be a tough winter financially for people. Yeah. We really need to make sure we're best placed to support tenants in the in the way that we can. And that's about us understanding and having those conversations very, very early on. So for me, it's again about us being very open to educating ourselves from lived experience. You know, I, I can't possibly imagine what it can be like to be somebody that lives in a rural area where there's no job opportunity. I don't live in a rural area; where there's yeah. no job opportunity. I live in a town, so that, I just don't get it. To us, it's not my experience. So we need to make sure that we uh, we educate ourselves like that, and we use data to do that. But again, yeah. something there, Peter, just to kind of build on that about actually, you know, the, the sector. I think it's fair to say at the moment is in a period of low trust. We've had some really awfully tragic, high-profile cases that have really dented our reputation, rightly so, and and they are, frankly, unforgivable in some situations. So we've got to work really hard to make sure we gain back the trust of our tenants, and we do that by making sure they get the service they need like i keep saying that we're yeah. supporting them the way we should be and actually rebuilding that relationship where we're not seen as like well there's no point telling them because they won't do it or they just ignore us or they don't use it properly and yeah that's the bit for me that we've got to really work on as a collective that is something as a collective we should be working on not individually yeah. because i think do you want to tell everybody about your personal protective characteristics i wouldn't why would I want to tell somebody who I didn't think was giving me what I needed? So there's mm. something about us actually building that trust to make sure we can hold that data and people feel like they can give it to us because yeah. actually they don't have to. And mm. why would they if they didn't feel like we we're going to be using it appropriately? So there's, there's an element of building positive relationships again as a sector there, which is something that we've got work very hard on in the coming
0: few years. Absolutely. And I, know, and I know we've spoken in the past about some of the practical applications of that to make sure that social landlords are able to um, provide the best support for a sustainable tenancy. And, you know, and that might be about... Um, putting people into communities where there are fellow people of their first language or um, of their fir- first country. And, and uh, you know, and I suppose it's an opportunity for us just to explore what some of those practic- other practical applications might be. Um, and I'm not sure whether that's, that's something that Saffron are, are doing and, and able to use data to, to, to better support allocations. And um...
1: I think we are at the beginning of our data journey, I think it's fair to say. So there's some things that we've done really well And so things and kind of like financial profiling, we've got a really good platform that helps us understand that. Um, And and we're actually, that's really effective. There's other stuff which we probably haven't got right yet. And actually that is about that kind of insight piece, really understanding who lives in our homes. Um, So we know who lives in our homes, but it's about, Building upon that, so actually, you know, we've got in that house we've got four a family of four, um, two of whom have got an additional uh, medical need, which means the house will react this way to this type of heating. That's the sort of information that we should be trying to collate and gather as as a organisation. So that's the bit I think for Saffron, which we're working really hard to try yeah. to achieve, and and I and I don't think we're alone again in that. I think that's the kind of a sector thing that we're wanting to do. So I think we have the data. Do we always have the right insights from it? Probably not. And that's something Mm -hmm. we've got to get much better at. So like I said, we've got some really good examples of where we've worked. It's worked really well. You know, we've got some welfare examples of where it's worked really well for us through the pandemic. And that carried on because the platforms that we had available were really helpful for us to deliver that. Um, And that also tells you about where you resource, where you need your resource and where you perhaps don't need it. But again, I think We've got to expand on that. And, like, you know, I, I'm not going to sit in a podcast like this and say to you, we've got it right, because, well, I, I don't believe anybody has got it right. And I wouldn't yeah. worry if, if we said yeah. that. Um, it'd make me very nervous, actually. Um, but I just, I, I do know there's a willingness and a real effort to get it right. And we're kind of, you know, this far into our journey, but we've still got absolutely, you know, we've still yeah. got another, a long way to go. So it's about taking the bits that you've worked really well on, understanding why it's worked well, and then using that when you start looking at other applications um to help you just improve your offer on a long term basis, I think.
0: Yeah. I, I love when we um have these chats, um, you know, and, and typically the you know, my um my um, interviewee, if for want of a better word, Anna, uh, work for social housing, and they they often talk about us, their landlord, but the sector, and that's what I love about working in um, social housing. It's you know in the in the main, it's a non compete environment, so you're happy to share best practice. You talked about articles and in inside housing, um, you know our. Customers constantly talk to one another. We promote it all the time. We have best practice groups. Yeah. And I just love the fact that people are willing to share those experiences. And I think that's the only way that the sector is going to move forward is by someone trying something, it working, and sharing that great news.
1: I think it absolutely anywhere. And I mean, I you know I'm a CIH board member, so I'm really um, I'm about CIH and what it can offer us and I think there's you know you can see on the, the agenda the professionalism agenda that CIH are really yeah. pushing that collegiate collaborative relationship and actually you know we are a profession and actually as good professionals we we should be collaborative and we should be sharing and I think it's actually really nice to see the government has recognized that and it's now recommend, recommending that kind of mandatory kind of qualification route, which was you know it's going to be be the start of it I think we have to accept it's the start of it it, it will it will broaden out and it will help us to just frankly become much better as a sector to really understand that kind of consistency point we've got to that we're all delivering consistent we're all delivering a consistent service yes it might be different because of where you are located but it's a consistent bar across the board i think housing is very collegiate um i think there is a like i said you you don't work if you don't have it's really difficult to work in housing if you don't if you don't feel really wedded to it you know it's tough it's a it's a difficult sector and actually honestly it's probably the most challenging environment I can remember working in since I've been in housing currently for a myriad of reasons. Um, But you can really see that kind of need for people to pull together because they want to make it work as best as they possibly can, you know, from lobbying the government around rent to lobbying the government about professionalism to lobbying the government about actually, you know, if you want us to do this, build more, you're going to have to help us with more grant. There's lots of ways in which we work really collegiately and and data is not an exception to that. And I do think you you start to see it pop up more and more. And even at kind of things like the the CIH conference recently, there's a massive importance put on digital innovation and, and, you know, there's a lot of... Talks and panels about how do we do it better. You know, this has really worked for us. This is what you might want to consider. And, you know, that's it's really pleasing to see that the, the sex degree are dropping. It's kind of like, I've got 40,000 houses, you've only got 6,000. I can't help you this. It's kind of much more, yeah. um, like I said, collegiate environment. And I, I think that's the only way we, we will succeed organizationally because we are competing sometimes in a market where, you know, Microsoft's, Microsoft's a conglomerate of an organization, isn't it? You know, if we could yeah. get 20 of us all together in one room to to, to you know, talk to them about a product. Surely that's better than having one of you in a
0: room. Absolutely, and I, th- I think you know, to just to reflect on your piece there about we've got forty thousand, you've only got six. how we help yep. me. What we often find yeah. is that, that the smaller landlords are able to be far more agile. Try, yeah. fail fast, move on, and right. actually. Um, you know, that is where a lot of the innovation is happening with the, the, the smaller, more regional um, landlords that are able to, to flex really quickly um, and, you know, a lot of the, the larger landlords are able to learn from that. So it's not always a, you know, that traditional one way, we're big and no better kind of um
1: You have to be be different as a small landlord because you don't have the financial capacity. So, you know, we've all got stretch capacity, every landlord, but as a small organization, you simply have less money because you have less homes. So when you're looking at products, you're thinking, okay, right, what is it that we want? How are we going to get what we need out of it? And actually, Financially, what can we afford? You know, what can we yeah. afford? Which is why you're seeing scaling up in a lot of organisations or mergers because actually just capacity becomes an issue, Peter. So I think I know at Saffron the two most successful applications we've had were things that we piloted that no one had ever used in the sector before. Yeah,
0: yeah, fantastic.
1: Use left, right, and centre, and we're often rolled out by one of them as like, and look what we did, and that was like four years ago. So I think yeah. that that's really important. I do think you. Know, I think because we can be quite a fleet of it, and because actually sometimes we have to be a little more risky in some of the things we choose. Um, you, um, you give it, you, you've you'll you got a little bit more opportunity to be a bit different and you can set what you need. So, yeah. uh, you know, we've been really successful by, by doing that. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go blindly in and be like, oh, yeah, let's try anything. You know, there is an element of obviously, of course you go through a risk matrix to understand what it can give yeah. you. But you, it, there is something where we can be a little bit more fluid. And I think it opens up an innovation element that you might not get in a large organisation, that often are having to churn through four, or five different cycles to get to where they need to. If you're small, you know, there's there's me, there's a director, and then there's a kind of the people that are delivering it. Actually, that's very different, isn't it? It's a very different yeah. set sort of circumstances. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. And speaking of um, different set of circumstances, we've we've seen a, a huge shift in in the UK in the last few years um, about our population, and um, you know, we we been fortunate enough that we've been able to support um, communities from around the world yeah. and you know uh, very much the social housing sector has been there to, to support um, th- those communities so how how are we able as a sector to use data to, to understand where what sort of properties we should be building, where we should be building, what support mechanisms are those communities going to need around them, how can we use data at that kind of commercial level when we're looking at our stock?
1: I think it's about understanding where the development need is actually and also understanding about the retention of your stock and disposal of stock too. So it isn't always necessarily about building more. It's sometimes about also yeah. using what you've got more effectively. So, you know, if, if we use homes for Ukraine as an example, you know, the UK was amazing. It, it opened, it embraced um, Ukrainian refugees. We, we brought them here and we wanted to give them the best possible opportunity to succeed. Now, Culturally different, very different culturally, you know, so we have to really think about, well, actually, is it a good idea to put a family who have lived in, I don't know, one of the major cities in Ukraine in a tiny rural village that has no access to transport where buses come once a day, there's only a tiny village school and they can't go shopping, they haven't got a car or a job. No, it's not. You know, let's see yeah. about actually where, how we place people. So I think there's something more about using your data around placement of families. And, and actually, that's why we have to work quite closely with local authorities, because obviously we don't do that. But, you know, they they hold the kind of register around provision who has a right to a home. Um And actually about, you know, things like public recourse funding, all those different things that we have to consider. Yeah. So for me, I, I don't necessarily think it's about development all of the time. I think it's about actually understanding place-based um placements essentially like actually is you know actually it's okay for that person to be there because they've got a driving license and actually they've got the means to buy themselves a cheap car or actually not going to put a family four there they need to be in a town to have access to medical health all of the things that you know that that they need to make them feel comfortable in in our country so I I think the data is more about it's more about using it to give people the biggest opportunity to succeed once you've done that then you can kind of pick up on like settlement where groups large groups of particular um cultures have perhaps settled and then us understanding what we need to do from the infrastructure perspective to make sure that's successful in integrating and we can work alongside each other so it's kind of two parts of it for me Peter. i don't necessarily think it's just about building homes I, right. I think it's about actually yes of course it's about development but it's also about actually making sure we have people in the right house in the right place at the same time
0: yeah no completely understand um Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, we've talked about a huge number of really practical and positive um, use cases for good use of data um, Mm -hmm. for supporting communities. And you also talked earlier about um, the trust within the social housing sector. So I suppose my question tries to tie those two things together to understand how can we promote the sharing or capture of data. You know, why would people want to share those protective characteristics? Why would people want to volunteer information if they can't understand what benefit is going to be to them? So how does the sector address that?
1: I just think we have to go back to our core purpose about delivering a good service. Basically, I mean, that is basically yeah. we have to deliver a good service. We have to do what we say we're going to do, because ultimately, at the end of the day, As a sector, we want to provide safe, warm, affordable homes for people to live in. That is pretty much what social housing is around to to deliver. And then off the back of that, what we also want to do is provide good communities for people to thrive in. So if we can do those two things and we get the basics right, then people are much more likely to want to talk to us. The problem we've had is we've had some very high profile stories where we haven't got the basics right. And the effects have been catastrophic. Yeah. So we have to one, put our hand up and go, we got this badly wrong, which to be fair, I think we have done. Perhaps not as expediently as we should have, but we have done it. I think there's something about us holding ourselves to account so people can see that we're trying to learn from our mistakes and not make the same twice, and also acknowledging that we've still not got it right. Yeah. And I think if you have very honest, transparent Open dialogue, then it's much easier for people to trust you because they're not always second guessing. Because I think a little bit this moment in time, what we have is yeah, but why do you need it? Why, why do you want that? What we need to get to a place, or think sector wise, but also individual organizations, is, is that we make people understand why we want to have it and actually how it will benefit them. Because at the moment, I wouldn't want to give information to people if I didn't know what it was going to be used for i, I don't yeah. want people to know if I'm like well what are you going to, why do you need to know that what are you going to do with it? I, I get it you know it's personal stuff we want to hold on to stuff that's important to yeah. us, so those are things that we need to do so I think there's something about accepting that we've made mistakes and owning it it, and we have there's something about acknowledging that we're still on a kind of a trajectory and we need to get there and there's something about thirdly us educating ourselves and our tenants on how this will help us provide a better service i think if we can do those things then you're building a platform where people will trust you again and i i think until we get there it will always be a little bit chicken and egg And be like oh you know what goes first i think like what he said to you is our job as a landlord to regain the trust of our tenants um, and then when we do that I think it'll be a much easier place for us to all in, to all kind of work in but we we, we have to acknowledge that that's going to be tricky and, and we're all working really hard to put it right I think
0: yeah I think you're absolutely right I think your last paragraph there summed up you know all of the topics of conversation today really really nicely really concisely and I think it's incredible to see the the, the willingness from every social landlord to to, to use debt data to enrich those lives to allow people to thrive in those communities and to make sure that we're providing the right support mechanism for for people to to enjoy life. And um it's great to to hear about the the journey that, that saffron are on and they're starting and you know that willingness to share and support groups like the um the, the CIH. Um it, it's it's great to hear it's been an absolute pleasure today, um Hannah. It's been it's been great talking with you and I'd like to thank you um for, for all your time and um valuable input. Thank you very much.
1: No problem. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Bye.